with me in God's word to the book of First Thessalonians chapter 5, First Thessalonians chapter 5. <coughs> Our text today is verse 16, rejoice always. It's not a long verse, but it is indeed profound. We're going to begin reading in verse 12, uh, just to get the context. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's pray. Lord, we come as your little children. Lord, we think of uh, how little baby birds, um, when they... Uh, sense that that the the mama bird the papa bird has come uh, to feed them they just get so excited in their little neck strain and they open their beaks wide uh, hungering uh, to be fed and, and Lord we come this day uh, Lord by by your spirit uh, Lord is your little children hungering for you uh, the living God, to come and, and take this, your very word that we have read, uh, and that you would, Lord Jesus, come by your blessed Spirit, and, and you would preach your gospel to our hearts to revive us, to feed us, to stir us up to a renewed uh, trust, faith, hope, joy in you, O Lamb of God. Hear our cry, and we make our prayer to you, the one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of the only mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, come in the flesh. In Christ we pray, amen. <clears throat> Rejoice always. 
What does it mean to be rejoicing? And what is this business of rejoicing always? Well, I want us to go over to the book of Philippians. Uh, The book of Philippians is a book that is full of joy. Uh, That is not surprising until you consider the one that was the human instrument uh, who God used to write this portion of Scripture. And before we look at uh, more of the specifics, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. And I want you to see a summary of the ministry experience of the man that God used to write this portion of Holy Scripture, who is the same man who wrote uh, to the Thessalonians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And here the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, and there were false apostles uh, who had ridden into town uh, on their fancy chariots uh, with their chrome uh, wheels, uh, their uh, uh, glitz, their glamour. Um, they had their uh, pedigrees all printed out uh, that they would unroll uh, scrolls uh, showing uh, the authority with which uh, they would come and teach. And the Apostle Paul is warning now uh, the church there against these false apostles. They claimed that they were from God, but they really weren't. And the Apostle Paul, in the context of these false teachers, he says, well, here is my argument for why you ought to listen to me. I don't come riding in a fancy chariot. I don't come with all the glitz and the glamour. I come with the glory of Christ, and I've been willing to suffer all kinds of hardship and heartache to be faithful to him because he is worthy. And I want to warn you not to be swayed by the world, by the glitz and the glamour. And I want you to see the beauty of Jesus. And I want to emphasize that even though life has been tough for me as his servant, I glory in him even to have the privilege to suffer. For his name. Well, let's begin reading in um, chapter uh, 11 in verse 12. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, 
for even Satan himself, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, <coughs> being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes lest one. Five times. Count them. Five times. I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. 
Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses." so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you'll turn with me in the book of Acts. Now, I haven't forgotten about Philippians. In the book of Acts, uh, turn with me to chapter 16. And how did the Apostle Paul experience all of these difficulties? Well, we'll just look at one of them before we go to the book of Philippians. Acts chapter 16. Here the Apostle Paul has been imprisoned. He has set free a woman who was demon-possessed in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we read in verse 19 of Acts 16, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. <clears throat> and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas, now does your Bible say they were moaning and feeling very, very sorry for themselves? Is, is, is that what your Bible says? Nope. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The book of Philippians is written now toward the end of the Apostle Paul's ministry and life. And one of the things that is so striking about this book is every chapter in the book of Philippians talks about joy in the Lord. And it's not because the Apostle Paul had an easy path. It's not because everything was just going so easy and smoothly for him from the world's perspective, the way of looking at things. No, we read in Philippians chapter 1 that this man was imprisoned when he wrote Philippians chapter 1. This man is imprisoned in Rome by order of the emperor himself of Rome and had been placed under the guard of the emperor's own praetorian guard. Now, the legions of Roman soldiers were all under the direct control of particular generals in the Roman army with the exception of one legion of Roman soldiers, the Praetorian Guard. And it was a legion of soldiers that was under the emperor's own personal command. And the emperor of Rome had said, this man, the Apostle Paul, is so dangerous, I am going to place him under my direct care and protection. And so he placed him under house arrest and he had squads of soldiers that would rotate in and out all through the day and night. And by the time the Apostle Paul writes the book of Ephesians, uh, the book of Philippians, he says the whole Praetorian Guard, all of these soldiers had been cycled through taking turns guarding the Apostle Paul. And guess what the Apostle Paul did when these soldiers were guarding him? He did the same thing that he had been doing all along. He proclaimed the glories and majesty and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these men were startled, just like the Philippian jailer, to see a man who had been mistreated and beaten and left in a pitiful state physically. And yet, here was a man who was singing praise to God. And it wasn't because he wasn't hurting. It wasn't because his life was easy. It was because of who God is. Even in the face of all of his difficulties, 
even in the face of all of his heartache and sorrow and pain, yet even in the midst of that, the Apostle Paul must praise his God because the Lamb is worthy. In Philippians chapter 1, I want you to see in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, bond slaves of Christ Jesus. Uh, he identifies himself. Uh, it is my joy and privilege uh, to be at the service of the king, the king of kings. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, the elders and the deacons, uh, the whole congregation and the officers of the church there. <clears throat> Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always and in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with what? With joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's a man who has joy and confidence and hope for the future even as he sits waiting to appear before the emperor of Rome who, as we are going to see as we go through chapter 1, is going to render a verdict as to whether the Apostle Paul is set free and he has the privilege of going and preaching the gospel again freely, openly, or whether he will be set free by being executed and God taking his soul home to glory. The Apostle Paul, in the face of that, says... Oh, I have such great joy as I remember each of you in my prayers. And I have confidence that he who began a good work in you will see it through until that day. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, folks, I must confess something to you. I have often thought, Henry, what would you have been thinking and doing if you had suffered what the Apostle Paul had and you were under house arrest and you were waiting for the emperor of Rome, and you had no idea what he was going to do. 
whether he was going to set you free and you would have the joy of going back uh, to uh, uh, living life openly, freely again, or whether you were going to be executed. How would you be viewing things? And I must confess to you, I think I would struggle greatly with not thinking about Christ and his glory as much as I ought to. I I probably would have at the beginning of my letter uh, said, I want you to pray that I would be released. But that's not what the Apostle Paul uh, is writing. Uh, The Holy Spirit comes upon him and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He says, I want you to just rejoice with me how God is at work. Even though Satan had nothing good in store when he stirred up the people of my own kin people uh, to falsely accuse me and attack me, and that's why I'm here. God is at work, even using the evil motives of men, uh, turning them on their head. Uh, Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. These guards, they would go, okay. Um, this is the first time you're going to be going to guard this dangerous guy. What'd he do? Well, he preached that a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Ooh. Well, I'll be on the lookout. And these guards would come and they would see this man full of joy and hope and life. And confidence because he knew Christ. Because he loved Christ. He knew the love of Christ. And he preached the gospel. Verse 14. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul said, look, I've had the opportunity to preach the gospel to the whole praetorian guard of of the emperor of Rome. I mean, could you imagine a better way to do that? God is an amazing God. And then he said, God's also used this to stir all of the other Christians who have heard about my imprisonment, and it's fired them up to preach the gospel. Verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I what? Rejoice. Here's a man sitting in prison. He's had a hard time. But he says, look who God is. He's a sovereign God. He's got a plan. And even evil men can't stop 
his gospel going forth. Look how good God is. Look how kind God is. Look how full of mercy God is. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He said, you've been praying for me that I would be delivered. And I know that God is going to answer your prayers. Now the Apostle Paul goes on to say, I'm not sure how he's going to answer them. I'm not sure how he's going to deliver me. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. For me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The Apostle Paul (coughs) in chapter 3, uh, he returns to this theme of, of suffering. But look at chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my what? Joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Do you see how this man is just full of joy? Why? How? It's because of who God is. It's because of his belonging to Jesus and being used of Jesus. The Apostle Paul is eaten up with Jesus. He's consumed with knowing Jesus and belonging to him and following him and having fellowship with him and living in him and for him. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I, ho I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was sick. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all what? Joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, we don't know the details of what Epaphroditus had suffered, but all we know is that he either had gotten physically sick or had been wounded to the extent that he was at the point of death and that it was in the service of, of, of ministering the gospel. Finally, my brothers, do what? Rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> I mean, 
What's wrong with this guy? He's, he's in prison. He's waiting the emperor's verdict. And he just keeps talking about having joy in the Lord. Obviously, it was not his circumstances that fueled his joy. It was that he saw God and the big picture that God was at work even in the midst of all the heartaches. What is your life like? Is it full of joy? What is my life like? Are we those who have such spontaneous joy because we know Jesus and we are trusting in Him even uh, when things are just uh, crumbling about us, uh, yet we have that confidence and hope. I don't understand what you're doing, Lord, but I sure am thankful you're my good God. I thank you for your promises, like Romans eight twenty eight, For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purposes. Lord, I, I, I feel uh, like I'm all alone in this pit, in this dark, dark, dark uh, valley you've taken me through. But Lord, I thank you. You have promised me that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet thou art with me. That's what Psalm 23 says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, the Lord himself has said in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. Therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do unto me? I mean, the worst they can do is kill me. You know, give me early retirement. Uh, that's the worst they can do. Well, the Apostle Paul goes on. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And the word rubbish there, the literal word is dung. Okay? <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, Compare all of the things that I used to have in my pedigree as a Pharisee, I count as just a pile of human excrement compared to knowing Christ. 
compared to belonging to him. In order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now look at the next phrase. And share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see, it's union with Christ. That's the source of his joy. That's the source of his confidence. It's who God is, who Christ is. But one thing I do, um, verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Here were people who at one time had joined with the Apostle Paul, who had said, yeah, uh, I, I love Jesus. Keep your finger there. We're going to come back. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And I want you to see, I want you to beware, there's a thing called counterfeit joy. There's a thing called counterfeit faith. There's a thing called surface religion. And it may at first glance appear that this is the real thing, but it really isn't. Look at Matthew chapter 13. In verse 1, That same day Jesus went out on of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among, along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, look down in verse 16. Jesus interprets this parable for us. 
Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That's a person who has a hard heart toward God, and they don't respond at all positively. But look at verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with what? Joy. Oh, they're so excited, but it's counterfeit joy. It's not a lasting joy. It's not real joy. It's just surface. They receive the word with joy, yet he has no root in himself. In other words, a little plant for it to survive has to have its roots down where it can get its nourishment. And if you and I are going to survive, we have to have our roots in Jesus. We have to be joined to Him, gaining our nurture, our life, our strength from Him. Yet He has no root in Himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately He falls away. Uh, The sun comes out and scorches what looked like a plant that was alive and growing, and it's destroyed. And Jesus says that's the person who they first hear the gospel and they go, yes, and they embrace Jesus with joy, but it's not real. It's just surface. Look at verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. They also seem to respond positively. (coughs) But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The world chokes it out. A friend of mine described it years ago. The play pretties of the world are like all of the weeds that come and just entangle around and choke the little plant. Again, the little plant doesn't have its roots in Christ. But then verse 23, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so Jesus warns us about counterfeit faith, counterfeit joy. And that's what the Apostle Paul now, in the midst of this book of Philippians, he says, I I, I, want to warn you. There are those that you know by name who had received the word with joy, but in time they showed that Jesus was not their God that they did not glory in him. Their God was their belly. Their God was their base appetites. All they cared about were the gifts that the giver could give. And once he withheld some of those gifts, they turned their back on the giver. And so in chapter 4 of Philippians... 
Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul had joy, first of all, in the Lord Jesus himself, but also he had joy in fellowship with other Christians. It was his joy uh, to serve the Lord Jesus with others. I entreat Yodia, I treat Syndicate to agree in the Lord. One of the sorrows to the Apostle Paul was he had heard through Chloe's people um, uh, that here were these two women who were at odds with each other. Uh, that they weren't getting along. <laughs> and can you imagine this book being read publicly? And you're, you know, these two women, and we don't know what they were butting heads over. But they were at odds with each other. And the Apostle Paul, writing now by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't say, now there are a couple of ladies in the congregation here, then you know your names, and you need to, you need to, be reconciled in the Lord. He named names. He said, I urge Yodia, I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I will say rejoice. How can you do that? Even in the midst of sorrow and heartache, God is still God. He's still good. He's at work. He has us in His nail-scarred hands. He has a plan for history. Um, not a sparrow falls from the tree, but by His command. And we are worth more than many sparrows to him. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your patience be known. We're, we're a people who are called upon to trust and obey. You know, there's a great old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to what? Trust and obey. The Lord is at hand. You may have a hard situation, but God is at hand. And so we can still rejoice in Him and what He is doing and will do. And He's going to reveal it all in His good time. In the meantime, trust and obey. In the meantime, worship. In the meantime, God calls upon me to glory in Christ. And give myself anew to Him. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. You say, well, Henry, that's easy for you to say. It's easy to say, don't worry. But what do you put in its place? Look at the next phrase. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And so when we pray about the problems, we say, Lord, I, I don't see any way this can turn out good. But you are a good God. 
and you've made promises to me, and I'm going to trust you. Lord, you have told me uh, that this uh, uh, broken uh, relationship is beyond hope. But Lord, I'm going to give myself to you, and if you see fit to repair it for your praise, I'll praise you, and if not, I will continue to trust and serve you because you are good. Lord, I don't understand why I just lost my job. But Lord, you've promised to provide and take care of me. And Lord, I know in your good time, you've got a door you're going to open for me. Just hang on to me and keep me from despairing while I wait on you. And give me even joy and excitement to see how you are going to work. That's what it means to pray with thanksgiving. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's how we rejoice. It's because of who God is. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When we find ourselves down in the dumps, when we find ourselves in the pit, it's because I've lost sight of who God is. I've lost sight of His goodness. I've lost sight of His promises. I've lost sight of the fact that He is at work. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him, through Christ, who, th who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into my partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so God says rejoice 
always. Our God is worthy. And He is at work. Years ago, I had the joy of growing up in a, a Christian home. And one of my Sunday school teachers was my own mama. And it was one of the Sundays there were only two of us in the class. It was a small little church. And she was the teacher. I was just a little thing. I was just learning how to spell. And she said, how do you spell joy? J-O-Y. J, Jesus. O, others. Y, yourself. She said, you children remember that. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's what the Apostle Paul is declaring. He said, my joy is to belong to Jesus, to know Him. The fellowship of His resurrection, power, and the fellowship of His sufferings. My joy is to serve in the name of Jesus. And I count myself His blood-bought servant. That's joy. May God grow us. In Jesus, to rejoice always. Let's pray. Father, write these things upon our heart. Bless us as we sing. How we thank you that because of who you are, uh, you are worthy to be praised. You made us and you have recreated us. Oh Lord, you are worthy. In Jesus we pray. Amen.